Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. The role of technology in formal educational institutions has been gradually changing over the decades, with a lot of debate on the impact and the way that technology should shape teaching and learning in the future. The 2020 pandemic suddenly changed everything. Around the world, from one day to the next, with no preparation or training, millions of educators and students switched to fully online learning, integrating several technologies into the school experience. Although emergency online learning is not an ideal that anyone would aspire to, the same way no one would recommend teaching someone to swim by throwing them in the turbulent ocean. But there are many valuable insights to be gained. This is one of two episodes in which we dig deeper into one school and one university's experience of emergency online learning, how they managed the challenges, and what they learned along the way. Dr. David Hornsby is a Professor of International Affairs and Associate Vice President of Teaching and Learning at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. David has lived and worked in South Africa and the UK, and is an Honorary Professor at Wits University in Johannesburg and University College London. David holds a PhD from the University of Cambridge and has published widely spanning the social and biological sciences. He is a recognized scholar, having been the recipient of teaching and research awards, and is currently the vice president of the International Studies Association. Thank you very much, David, for joining me today. Thank you, Kinga. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we dig deeper into the experience at the University of Emergency Online Learning, let's first get an idea of what teaching and learning looked like at Carleton before the pandemic the role of technology in the regular working of the university, and also what your department, the Teaching and Learning Centre, the role that they have at Carleton. Yeah, so I mean, I think Carleton University is not dissimilar to most universities in Canada, insofar as its teaching and learning environment pre-pandemic was largely delivered face-to-face. There was a strong emphasis on uh, in-classroom experiences, uh, on-campus types of engagements, And um, students would define their university life largely through that sort of face-to-face relationship with an instructor. That's, you know, not to say that we didn't use technology pre-pandemic. We've always had a suite of educational technology tools that we've advocated for, that we've encouraged usage by our instructors. We also have a learning management system like most, uh, most universities nowadays that would offer instructors a degree of flexibility to post material online so that students could could access it uh, with a greater degree of ease. And all of that really defined uh, was was sort of Carleton personified. You know, I would would hazard a guess that, you know, we had had most of our uh, instructors online, namely um, using the learning management system in some Mm -hmm. way, shape or form, but not engaging with it to the extent that we would uh, hope or would imagine uh, insofar as using blended forms of assessments, uh, online quizzes, assignment to tabs, creating discussion boards. I would say like most universities, Carleton was primarily using this learning management system for uh, 
slide repository and the syllabus space where students could access the course materials right. um, that were provided in class. So on that score, it was, it's, you know, it was, it was a typical university, typical Canadian university that privileged and uh, gave primacy to the face-to-face type of career. And your department, Teaching and Learning Center, is responsible for helping the professors and instructors in, in their pedagogy, helping them teach their material better, and also helping them with using the technology that they were using, correct? That's, that's the role of the, of the department. Yeah, I mean, so my remit as the Associate Vice President for Teaching and Learning really covers three fundamental pillars. One is the online space. So mm-hmm. we have what we call Carleton Online, which is a, provi- a way we provide our online courses. We have instructional media services, which actually looks after our classrooms and the face-to-face experience, the types of technologies that are available, but also, but also the setup of the classrooms, what do they look like, seating, etc. And then we have the pedagogical support element, which is the educational development center, um, which really speaks to this idea of training instructors, providing them best practices, helping them connect with educational technology tools. So we're actually quite a big uh, unit that spans mm-hmm. across the institution. We touch all the faculties and we have about 85 people that work uh, work within our unit, sort of helping to achieve the teaching and learning mission at, at Carlson, which is, which is quite broad. That's fantastic. And it's such an important role to have because the skill of teaching is very different from the subject matter knowledge and how to use technology in that is also a completely different field. So it's it's really important to have that support. And then the pandemic came and from one day to the next with the snap of a finger, everything changed and went online. Can you tell me what was that instant switch to online learning like? How did you experience it? And how did you see the instructors and students experience that sudden shift? Well, I think, you know, there was there was a suddenness to it that was not unexpected. And I say it like that in part because, you know, from January, early January in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, the coronavirus or COVID-19, as it's commonly referred to, was in the news. We mm-hmm. could see it having uh, flare-ups in, in particular spaces and places, and we knew that there was something happening. So people had in their mind, and particularly we did at Teaching and Learning Service, we had in our mind but there was a potential here for it to impact the university functioning. What we didn't anticipate was the rapidness um, mm-hmm. with which we would have to pivot. And really, it was, it was one of these things where um, we had to switch within a week from a face-to-face environment to an online environment. And, you know, that was a challenge. But I have to say, one of the really great things about Carleton, and now having only been at Carleton for just over two years, one of the really great things about Carleton was actually how well-resourced the Teaching and Learning Center, the Educational Development Center, is and was. Because what that enabled us to do was to roll out very quickly a set of programs, uh, training workshops, uh, templates through the learning management system, how-to guides to help colleagues, instructors pivot their courses online really quickly. So this was something you already had prepared because you were moving towards, you wanted to move towards more technology in the teaching and learning. So these were things that you had prepared in the past. That's right. Yeah. So we had a, we had a really healthy level of support to get us into a space to engage more in online learning. Now, don't get me wrong, it wasn't smooth, right? It wasn't easy for people. I think, you know, I have to be really cognizant of the fact that, you know, this, this was a very stressful period of time for a lot of people mm-hmm. because of the uncertainties around the health implications of what was going on. You know, all kudos and credit to the instructors at Carleton for 
being so professional and being able to move things so quickly. But I think really integral to that was that we had a set of support systems in place mm-hmm. that enabled that shift and that pivot to occur as sort of smoothly as, as it possibly could, given the quickness in which, with which we had to do it. And what were those support systems in place? Well, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, instructional designers uh, mm-hmm. at Carleton, which are really knowledge keepers about the online space and how to translate good pedagogical practice in online spaces. So there they, they sort of have maintained a, a great deal of expertise in, in the use of educational technologies. We have a healthy component of instructional designers that were ready to, to help people. And, and you know, this, this was a big task for that team. We also have a group of educational technologists who could help colleagues navigate the educational technology implications. So things mm-hmm. like recording videos on your desktop and then uploading them and having a means to to make uh, your lectures available. But we also, through our, our Carlton Online group, also had a really proficient capacity around the lecture capture model. Um, and this is one of the sort of holdovers from Carlton's past, uh, is that our online provision pre-pandemic was a largely a lecture capture model. So we had classrooms that were enabled with cameras to mm-hmm. capture capture lectures. We had a bank of pre-recorded lectures from courses gone by that could be drawn on to, to help provide you know, good content uh, for students to be able to complete their courses. So we had all these like really great pieces uh, of a puzzle that helped us respond to, to the pandemic. Right. So that makes a, definitely a huge difference in this mm-hmm. situation and that preparedness and moving, but certainly the speed at which this was happening brought on a lot of challenges. So what were some of the challenges you saw in terms of from the student's perspective, from the professor's perspective, and from your departments, your groups? What were some of those challenges that you saw experienced? Well, you know, I think there's, there's challenges in all sorts of levels, right? We could reflect on this at the sort of interpersonal or the personal level. There was absolutely, you know, lots of challenges around coping and, and how to, and just getting to grips with the monumental mm-hmm. task at hand putting things online, not only in the immediate pivot, but also actually in the sort of preparation for the summer and, and the eventuality of the of the fall and now winter. But then there's also the pedagogical challenges, right? Namely, how do you take a course that, well, of 800 students that was being delivered primarily face-to-face and turn it online? Exactly. It was an issue of scale. It was an issue of, of really where people were at. So the biggest challenge for us, if I'm you know being fully reflective, was finding that capacity to meet instructors where they were at and accepting that we could not prepackage anything that it needed to be. We needed to actually reach out to individual instructors and say, okay, what is it you need in order to get this done? How can we get this, get this to you quickly? So, you know, for example, that the large classes um, with 800 students in the quick response to that was get the instructor to film their lectures. Mm-hmm. Now that isn't an ideal pedagogical model for online learning by exactly. any shape, by any stretch of the imagination. But it was a it was a response in the moment that allowed us to complete the term. So, you know, our instructional designers, our educational developers and our educational technologists met the instructors where they were at and helped them pivot in a way that reduced the stress, reduced the burden on them, but was really clear in terms of how how this was going to be completed. So that was the biggest challenge was actually, you know, getting to people, right? Exactly. And it is very individualized because, as you said, it's not just about filming. That's the biggest mistake of just filming a lecture and putting it online. And just teaching and learning online is, has very, very different skills and it's a different experience that 
you need a different design for, but also because it's a university with so many different topics, your team has to help. It's very different how you're going to bring a music class online or a engineering class or a chemistry class. Um, It's a lot of different skills and different types of technologies that are needed for that. But of course it's an emergency situation. So at this point you're just trying to get it, get it to work. That's right. And if I could just even reflect a little bit further on that challenge question you have, Kinga, like, I mean, the challenges have been evolving Mm -hmm. as well, right? So that challenge that I'm referring to now was in the immediate pivot. Mm -hmm. The next challenge that we faced was, okay, now that we've got a bit of time, namely a month and a half, (laughs) um, how do we prepare colleagues for the summer? Right. And then once we got, so we had that meant a change in our support model and the mode in which we got people thinking about their courses. Then on top of that, once we made the decision, which we did in, in early May, Carlton to, to go be online for the fall, how do we then support people preparing across the summer to deliver their, their fall courses? Mm-hmm. And in the fall in, in Canada right now at Carlton, their, their students are partially back, but most of the teaching is happening online, correct? Uh, so no, the te- all teaching is online. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no face-to-face instruction taking right. place. Where there, where there is, uh, where there are students, students on campus, that's in the residences, and that's where we have international students or students who just, for whatever reason, simply cannot work remotely from home. Right. And so we have about twelve hundred students on campus at the moment. But all instruction uh, is online. At exactly. Present. So that's that was a huge part to prepare people uh, for the fall because it was that's continuing. Great. What did you do to help prepare for this? Yeah, so that's, you know, again, coming back to that evolution idea, right? So that the, the measures that we put in place evolved significantly. So we had the pivot moment where they were, it was just about triage, right? It was about keep it simple. It was about let's complete the term. We then had to pivot immediately into preparations for the summer and then, and then shortly thereafter preparations for the fall. So what measures did we put in place? Well, we first off developed a set of templates that people could use in the learning management system to build their courses. So essentially slides that people then would fill in the gaps, right? Okay. And, and to walk people through their courses. Mm-hmm. And that was a, you know, a big help to our instructors, right? In part, in part because you know, when you're th- figuring out a learning management system, it's also figure the structure of how you want it to look, how it's presented. So we, we've simplified that. The next thing we did was we actually created a huge number of workshops to uh, deal with the range of technical issues Mm -hmm. that colleagues and instructors may have as it relates to online learning. So we held 238 workshops over the summer. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, And we had over 2,000 participants in those workshops. So instructors came in droves to participate. So there was a a desire to sort of learn the how-tos. So some of the stuff was basic. Like this is how you set up a CU Learn course, which is the name of our learning management system. And, uh, or, you know, up to the really sort of complex ones around giving feedback, meaningful feedback uh, in online spaces. So we had, this, we had this huge range of workshops, which faculty really participated in. But we also developed uh, a program to help our faculty adjust. We modified our existing Students as Partners program to bring students uh, and faculty together in the co-development of online courses. That's fantastic. And this has been a really interesting development in terms of it it has blown our minds and exceeded our expectations so tell me a little bit more about what that looks like what is what do you mean by students and faculty partnership 
So we, we, we established in, in January of 2020 a Students as Partnership Program, which was, you know, following the literature around, around this area, you know, looking at co-development of curriculum, but also scholarship of teaching and learning projects, uh, finding ways to use different technologies or to, you know, get student input on types of strategies that mm-hmm. instructors wanted to use. We took that model and we applied and we, and we expanded it for the use in the summer. And we had over 120 students participate in the summer, hmm. working with faculty members to help them think through how to design their online courses. And this, and it was the range. It was the range of things. Some people wanted help with doing some, you know, background research into how to deliver their discipline in an online. Some wanted help with building their learning management system course. Others wanted help with uh, designing assessments. Mm-hmm. Or, or want to just have student feedback around what resonated and what didn't. It created this fantastic dynamic where students and, and, and instructors were working together. Such an important part. And not only were they bringing skills, ethical skills, but also feedback, really immediate feedback on how they're experiencing the learning, which must have been very eye-opening to some Absolutely. And it was, it was wildly, it is wildly popular. I mean, it's just so striking how effective this has been. Nobody has complained about the program. No, everybody has spoken positively about it in terms of how uh, meaningful it has been. So both students and uh, instructors, which is really important. And again, now it's seen as a really effective way to think about uh, course design. I mean, one of the really great, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that everybody's thinking about pedagogy. And, you know, what a gift uh, to be in this role at this time uh, to have everybody think about pedagogy, because usually that's like one of the dip- most difficult things for somebody like me to achieve is, is to get people thinking and, and oriented in that way. Well, everybody's thinking about it now. And to be able to create and provide a context where instructors can have meaningful interactions with students around pedagogical considerations is just is incredible. And, you know, you see the students benefiting from it. That's amazing. Absolutely huge. Apart from the technological possible challenges that uh, that instructors might have, was there something that jumped out at you that was most common among instructors in terms of pedagogy to teach online? Was there something that you thought was most challenging for Mm -hmm. instructors to get get a handle on? Yeah, I think the, the feedback that we have received, and certainly we were debating at the time, across this whole circumstance has been the issue of engagement, mm-hmm. student engagement. That is huge. And then, yeah, it is enormous because, you know, one of the, you know, we know from the literature around online learning that asynchronous types of learning spaces are really preferred by undergraduate students in particular. The literature suggests it, but our own surveying of students also suggested it. So the big question was, how do we advocate and encourage the adoption of asynchronous pedagogical course design and delivery, and also encourage engagement. Because, you know, one of the key ways in our face-to-face environment that engagement occurred was through that interaction, that space for interaction. So it was helping, you know, one of the big challenges was helping instructors figure out how they could foster engagement uh, whilst also maintaining that sort of preference for asynchronous design. And obviously this is a big trial and error type of scenario. We haven't gotten it perfect. No one has. But, you know, I think, you know, some of, the, some of the strategies that we were able to impart and some of the tools that we were able to help guide instructors to use, I think has helped in a big way. What is one or two strategies that you found helpful? Because that is a huge challenge because 
not only is receiving information online a different experience, it's, it's been shown to be more tiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other distractions of when you're not actually in the room with an instructor, there's unintended distractions. What are one or two of the strategies you've helped instructors incorporate? Well, I think, you know, it's um, thinking through at very pragmatic levels, right? What resonates and what engages. So when we've been helping in the asynchronous design of courses, for example, what's worked really well and we know resonates with students are, you know, short video clips Mm -hmm. as opposed to long lecture captures and getting people to sort of think about conveying information in short chunks has been, I think, helpful in that. But it's also been the combining with a range of other activities, right? So if you're going to provide a short video explanation of a particular concept or process, then you combine it with either a primer or a a supplemental written piece. You can add in a discussion board, which you you have a set of reflective questions that gets the students to talk about how they're understanding the topic better. And then you're providing that you're providing feedback either real time or uh, or sort of delayed asynchronously. Then all of these sorts of things, when they work as a suite, can be particularly helpful. It's very powerful, and uh, there's amazing things that can be achieved. But it is a lot of different skills That's right. need to be incorporated. So you wrote a paper recently about pandemic pedagogy. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what that means and what that entails and how you incorporated that in the work you do at, uh, at Carleton. So, yeah, I you know, had the privilege of actually co- co-writing this piece with uh, my colleague Heather Smith, who uh, is currently uh, a professor at University of Northern British Columbia. And Heather has, has sort of been in my role in previous iterations of her professional life at UNBC and is a really thoughtful pedagogue. And we have a lot of uh, great conversations and we're good friends. And uh, I really value the sort of intellectual space that she creates when we're, when we're talking together. So we developed this paper, this very short essay around the notion of pandemic pedagogy because we were chatting in the initial days of this about how do we cope? Like, what are the different ideas? What are some of the strategies? Well, what are some of the broader implications of what we're thinking about? And really what we came up with with pandemic pedagogy was, was almost like an overarching framework that we need to think about as a means of helping us get through this sort of moment um, where our pedagogy is, is deeply impacted. What we call pandemic pedagogy isn't necessarily a new way of teaching, but we argue that there are essentially seven types of characteristics, uh, seven types of issues that we need to sort of keep in mind. You know, one is adopting and taking seriously the notion of an ethic of care. Um, where we work with our students to meet them where they're at and to be really patient and understand that they're also operating in a stressful environment. Mm-hmm. And so build into our teaching and learning environments that space for people right. to be vulnerable, that space for people to not be okay, and to um, help them through that. Know that we will still want them to be successful in spite of all of those challenges. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a really important one. You know, some of the other ones that we were talking about here was thinking, you know, rethinking about our assessments assessment modes and how to give critical and and open feedback. We thought about, you know, different types of, uh, well, we advocated for students as partners type of program, right? Bring students and and instructors together as as Carlton did to um, actually find a way to to assist in adapting. But it's also things like creating disciplinary networks, uh, looking beyond simply our institutions, but looking within our disciplines and across our disciplines and in different spaces to either share resources like through open educational resources 
or just to actually have networks where you're, you're sharing, you know, your syllabi, your content, or even just spaces to talk. Absolutely. Because we all know how the catharsis, right, that can come mm-hmm. through, uh, through, through speaking. No, that's hugely important at any time. And, and I think you and I talked about that before, that I'm very interested in that space of how learning together and learning from each other in workspaces or any kind of environment is extremely important and something we don't do enough of on a regular basis, but it becomes even more important in a, such a crisis situation. And I liked the fact that you wrote about the pandemic pedagogy because there's so much more to learning Often learning is seen as very one dimensional. Mm -hmm. And if we teach it the right way, then you should be learning it the right way. But there's so much without a pandemic about mental health playing a huge role in in how someone is able to learn anxieties and environment. I mean, there's so much that goes into how well or not well someone is able to learn. It's very important to bring that up in this situation, especially when um, a pandemic heightens all of those problems. What were some of your big successes that you saw th- through this process? I mean, it's been a lot of transitioning from mm-hmm. the immediate emergency to now trying to find a more sustainable model. But what did you find as being big successes? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think I, w- I will come back to the notion of students as partners as being, mm-hmm. I think, one of our biggest successes. I don't want to negate or diminish the significance of everybody getting online. I mean, I will say that we have, with minimal difficulty or minimal sort of upheaval, gotten everyone online. We're offering close to 2,000, over 2,000 courses this fall, all online. And, and, and that's a huge achievement. And kudos to our instructors for doing that mm-hmm. and doing it so professionally. I think where, you know, the big success has been in finding this really clear mechanism to integrate student voice into into courses. You know, I mentioned 100 and, and uh, close to 120 projects in the summer. We've had another 135 this fall uh, where people are working together. So by the, you know, by the end of this year, we're going to have over 250 courses that have been, you know, where students and partners have been really involved in developing, uh, in, in assisting in the development. And I think that's an incredibly powerful place mm. to be in. And to think about, you know, that's, that's where teaching culture changes in those types of spaces, right? Because it has a trickling effect as well. Yeah. It's not, it's a lot of, of projects, but it also has a really big yeah. uh, trickling effect. That's right. A huge trickling effect. And we know that, you know, people just through word of mouth are getting out there and realizing that this is a great way to work and are finding ways to work with their students regardless of the official program. Yeah. I think another success too is we've broken down some of the barriers between our institutions. So I'm a part of two initiatives that are about collective online resource development across Canadian universities. One is a direct relationship with the University of Ottawa. We have a shared online projects initiative where we fund the development of, of courses at both institutions. We get colleagues to collaborate together. And it's this radical idea, right? If we can, if we can encourage research collaborations between our institutions, why can't we encourage teaching collaboration? Absolutely. So that's one. And then the other one is a digital resource consortium, which is actually a far broader collection of Canadian universities uh, that have come together with the desire to develop open educational resources in disciplinary specific areas. And uh, this is sort of a rallying hub. And at the moment, we're putting in funding proposals to try and get that funded so that we can support colleagues in the development of common resources that can be used in online spaces. That's fantastic. Well, those are long lasting relationships that will benefit far past this 
this totally. emergency online teaching, which is great. So reflecting back on everything that you and, and the university has been going through, what are some of the greatest lessons that you take away and want to move forward with? So what have you, what are some of the things that you learned maybe surprising? Wow. I mean, that's, that's such a hard question to respond to because it's been like, it's everything. It's everything. Uh, it's a lot of learning. Happened. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> um, it, it really has been, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things I think that's been incredibly empowering about this moment has just been the um, capacity of the academy to change. You know, people don't necessarily believe that universities are spaces where change happens quickly. Um, and this has been a moment where it's, that's completely turned that on its head. And I have to say, you know, one of the biggest learning things for me has been about meeting people where they're at in their own pedagogical journeys, in their own teaching and learning journeys, and finding ways to help them uh, achieve their, their learning objectives, their learning outcomes associated with their courses. And, and that has, and, you know, the openness that's come along with that, I think, has been incredibly empowering and, and insightful insightful in ways about, you know, how people think about teaching uh, and the space that, that they maintain and, and understandings that they maintain as well. That's really fantastic. And so what do you see moving forward? I mean, you've already talked about relationships that will continue and projects that will, that will continue. How do you think moving forward, uh, this situation will change Carleton, but universities as a whole? Yeah. What, what do you think will be different? Such an important question. You know, one of the really incredible things about this moment has been the demystification of online learning, as I like to mm -hmm. call it. And what I mean by that has been uh, people now understand the potential of online spaces. So where before there was skepticism, uh, where before there was reticence because there was ignorance around the types of tools, what they could do, uh, how they worked, etc. Uh, that no longer exists because everybody mm -hmm. has had a chance to engage with it. Do I think we're going to see the proliferation of online degree programs across Canada? No. What I do think is going to happen is the greater uptake and use of online tools and activities associated with courses. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to see a lot more things put online in terms of assessments. Um, we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot more blended uh, courses, a lot more flipped classrooms mm -hmm. um, where, you know, lectures may be delivered asynchronously through some, you know, chunks of video and then, and then the class time is used for more problem solving. And that has been discussed and pushed for a very long time with a lot of resistance, but there's such so much value to that. Yeah. And, um, and maybe this situation enabled people to see that actually you can put a lecture online and do the face-to-face -face in a much more meaningful way so that you have much better learning outcomes. Yes, I think so. And I mean, I think the important piece there is, again, realizing that the face-to-face -face element can be so much richer than mm -hmm. a simple didactic transfer of information, yeah, right? It can actually, definitely. you don't have to do it that way. You can, you can find other ways to transfer info if you need to do that, that don't take up the meaningful face-to-face -face time where you can give deep feedback, you can answer questions, you can help students solve problems, give them, some, give them something extra that really adds value to their learning experience. Absolutely. So you feel that people have had this realization as well. Absolutely. If there has been resistance from professors, this realization has kind of come about. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the really important thing is here, you know, the reticence before was because they didn't understand the tools. Now they've had to 
get to grips with the tools and they can see that they're actually not that hard to use. And with a bit of thought and with a bit of prep, they can do a good uh, job delivering sort of a core component of their learning objectives, which is the transference of disciplinary information and save, uh, save the face-to-face moments for a more meaningful, meaningful type of interaction, which I think most of our instructors wish and want naturally. Well, it sounds like there's been a lot happening and a lot of uh, wonderful projects and initiatives that will be moving forward in the future, which is, which is great. So um, thank you very much for sharing all of that. But before we end, I would like to ask you for a recommendation, either a book or, a, or something that you think is helpful and inspiring on this topic for others. Well, thank you, Kinga, for um, inviting me to join you. I think on that score, I always believe deeply in the power of teaching and learning and the uh, ability for uh, teaching and learning to really transform people's lives. I'm a believer in the idea and the adage that actually teaching is one of the most important things we do at universities because it has the most impact yeah. on people. Absolutely. If you think about it, you know, how many people do you interact with in, across your career in your teaching and learning spaces, say, versus who read your journal articles, right? And I think the stats show us that we interact with a lot more people and influence a lot more people through our teaching. So on that score, I mean, I always like to um, get people to reflect on the power of teaching and the power that they hold in their teaching and learning environment. So for me, the book I'd like to recommend is Teaching to Transgress by Bell Hooks. Her subtitle to that Teaching to Transgress book is uh, Education as a Practice freedom. I think it's relevant for anybody who's uh, interested in, in teaching, regardless of their discipline. Definitely. That sounds really interesting. Well, thank you very much. And thank you so much for sharing all your insights and experience. That was really very, very interesting. So thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you.